Welcome to Episode 3 of the Believe and Follow podcast. The first two episodes focused mainly on the concept of unity. I created a brief summary that I plan to run on the online radio station as a periodic ad for the podcast. The love of the Lord is perfect. When Jesus Christ came in the flesh, he showed us what one with the Father like. And so Jesus taught only what came from the Father. In the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 16, Jesus says, This teaching is not mine, but him who sent me. The Holy Spirit did likewise. John 16:13 says, He won't speak on his own authority, but only what he hears. And also the apostles the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Any disciple of Jesus Christ should also do the same. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 1 Peter 4.11 says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Therefore, when we teach... We should, like Jesus, be able to say, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone brings any teaching to us, we should test it by the same rule. Acts chapter 17 verse 11 commends the Bereans for searching the scriptures daily to see if the things they were being told are true. This is a lifelong process and necessary to assure that we are speaking the truth in unity. Listen to the Believe and Follow podcast. Go to believeandfollow.org. I wanted to include in last week's podcast a conversation about baptism that proceeded from a discussion of the first podcast, but we ran out of time, so I'm posting it here. What does the Bible tell us about how we should be conducting ourselves in the church? Give me an example of something that we do because of the instruction. Okay, hey, okay, I got one. Baptism. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, when we're preaching the gospel to someone, and someone says to us, what must I do to be saved, we say to them, repent and be baptized 
receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we also see in Acts chapter 2, following in the apostles' teachings. Can we then decide, oh, well, you don't have to be baptized? No. No. Says it. Right. Exactly. So if we go, yeah, but wait a second, though. What could dunking someone in the water really accomplish? It doesn't matter because it says... It could be nothing, baptized, but right. and, and we understand from other verses and other places that the baptism is an immersion in water. So if we decide, wait a second, that's a big pain in the neck. Dunking someone in the water, why don't we just sprinkle a little water on their head? Is that okay? Are we doing it in the name of the Lord if we decide, no, you don't have to be baptized. No, you don't have to be immersed in the water. From the examples that I can think of, of uh, Jesus' disciples and John the Baptist's disciples, you know, they did it in a river, so I would kind yeah. of assume that's, that's how it... Yeah. yeah. You have to have a river. Well, you have to have a place where there's sufficient water because... It says that John the Baptist was baptized in the Jordan River because there was plenty of water there. When Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch stopped at some place by the road, he goes, "Here's some water." It might not have been a river. It might have been. It might have been a puddle in a ditch. What prevents me from being baptized? So there just has to be sufficient water so you could immerse somebody. It has to be more liquid than in this cup, but it has to be enough to immerse somebody and fully immerse them. If we did any differently, would we be doing it in the name of the Lord? I'm just thinking, there's an Old Testament reference where they're saying that you'll be sprinkled with water or something. Yes, but is there ever any connection in the New Testament? Most of the references of sprinkling were to the sprinkling of blood. We remember ceremonially, they would have the hyssop and they would dip it in the blood and they would sprinkle sprinkle it on the altar, they would sprinkle it on the people. There's a water one at least. But are there any places in the New Testament which say, and sprinkling is okay because making that connection to the Old Testament and sprinkling? No. I mean, if you find one, let me know. Right. Right. And the word actually, baptism, means... Immerse. It comes from this idea of dyeing a piece of fabric. And if you're going to dye a piece of fabric, you don't completely immerse it. <laughs> it's not going to be dyed the color that you want. Right. right. right? So using baptism as an, as an example, because that's one of the church things that we do, because we see the instruction. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and we see what that is. Is that the way to go, or is that just a suggestion? And we could do things differently. I guess, yeah. We have to just looking at that. Yeah, yeah, one example. It looks like it. So we need to find the small set of because Jesus said, "My commands are not burdensome." And there's a lot less instructions in the New Testament than there are in the Old Testament. But we got to find out what they are and just see if. You agree with me then about that. But you agree with me about baptism, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, except, except, uh, the, only, the, the, the exception would be where there is no uh, available water to, 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 to do it. Or you didn't have some I mean, if you're, like if you're, if, you're, if you're in the desert and there's no available water, you can't baptize a person in the desert unless you, know, unless you find an oasis or whatever. What does scripture say about that? I don't know that it does. 
Yeah, that's a good point. It's kind of like you and I are marching across the desert, mm-hmm. and you're preaching the gospel to me. And I believe, and I say, I want to be baptized. Mm-hmm. You're going to say, well, we're in the middle of a desert. I can't baptize you. <laughs> but as soon as we get to a place where there's sufficient water, it's kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch rolling down the road in their chariot, and he's like, well, look, here's some water. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So before they got to the water, even though he might have been thinking, hey, now I understand I need to be baptized. Mm-hmm. And then who knows how many miles passed between he, the time he originally realized it to when he said, hey, here's a sufficient body of water. So it would be the same thing. The minute we got to a place where there was sufficient amount of water, if I'm sufficiently convicted that I need to be baptized, I'm going to be just like the Ethiopian unit. Look, Claude, here's a body of water. What prevents me from being baptized? So, I mean, that's a good point. Right, yeah, because of the classic example of people on the cross, there was no no, uh, opportunity to baptize the thief. There was, there was nothing in the Right, baptize. but was the thief on the cross under that instruction? When did Jesus give the Great Commission? Was it before or after the thief on the cross? It was after. What? It was after. It was after, exactly. So the instruction hadn't yet been given. And the other thing about that is, if you happen to be hanging on a cross when Christ is being crucified, and Christ <laughs> says to you, we can make allowance for that. Remember, the general rule that I say, the instruction is to who it's given to. Right. Anyway, that, that God's going to okay. say. Um, I mean, the same thing, same thing would exist if, um, say, a person went to a prison and, um, and was, pre- you know, was, um, and was um, you know, speaking to prisoners. Right. And there would be, and there would be no um, opportunity for them to be baptized because of the pris- whatever the prison uh, situation was. I mean, that's a possibility. Sure, that's a possibility, but then the minute they do have the opportunity to be baptized, then they should take advantage of it. But here's the other thing. But of course, they they can die before that that happens. Well, but then you always leave them in God's hands. You don't make any decision about that, right? Yeah. Because the God who sent his son to be sacrificed so that our sins could be forgiven, they're not going to be prevented from becoming members of the church by accident or happenstance. And God decides. And God is the one who finally judges. So I guess intent would would be a a factor. I think the way to say it is this. It's our job to deliver the instructions. It's not our job to make the final judgment. God always leaves it up to himself. Because there are plenty of people that you well know who were baptized who then did not follow in the apostles' teaching. Right. So, so we say, well, what about them? Well, it's just our job to continue to give the instructions because then God's going to decide on the last day whether you stood firm to the end and so you're saved. And that's a good point. We don't make the final judgment. All we do is give the instruction. And the instruction is to be baptized. We don't have the authority to say, oh, yeah, you don't have to be baptized. I guess the more that we have the authority to say that because we were baptized, it's a done deal. Right, exactly. No, it's exactly that. Because what did they have to do? They were baptized, and then they had to follow in the apostles' teaching. Jesus says, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. What did the writer to the Hebrews say? You know, the person who's tasted those things and turns away. 
there is no more sacrifice left for him. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I'm thankful that we don't have to decide. All we have to do is be as helpful as we can to each other. You see me all of a sudden doing something bizarre and saying, you know, I don't think that thing you're doing is really conforming to Colossians 3, 17. You're not doing that according to any of instruction from Jesus. You bring that to my attention and help me stop. But you don't say, now I know you're... You're going to be accepted by God or not. God's going to decide the end. And he leaves it totally up to himself. As a result of that discussion and other discussions that arose from the first and second podcasts, I think we should move the discussion to walking by faith. One of the things we learn from the Bible is that God is a God of specifics. And this concept contrasts with many popularly held notions. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. By the way, my plan is to keep this episode to a half hour or under. Let's see how I do. In Genesis 6, we see a world that is pretty much given over to all evil all the time. Verse 6 tells us that it grieved God to his heart. So God decides to blot out man whom he created and cleanse the world with a flood. But Noah found favor with God. Why? Genesis 6 verse 9 says Noah walked with God. We'll get back to that in a minute, but first notice what God did not say to Noah. God did not say to Noah, you're an intelligent guy. I'll leave it to you to figure out how you're going to save yourself. Not at all. God gives specific instructions to Noah about this vessel he wants him to build and how he is to prepare and fill it. In Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, we read, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Its width 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. And set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring, two of every sort into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female." Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind, will come to you and keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Verse 22 tells us that Noah did exactly what God commanded. That was the last verse that I read. 
God is a God of specifics. He knows exactly what we need to do to be saved, and he expects us to be careful that we do it. This takes work and constant attention. By the way, some are distracted by the absurdity of this story. This is how God works. If that remains your focus, you're going to miss the actual point that God wants you to understand. Now, to the characterization that Noah walked with God. In the book of the minor prophet Amos, chapter 3, verse 3, this question is posed. Do two walk together unless they are agreed? Or have agreed to meet, as it says in the ESV? What does that mean? Let's say you and I are texting, and you suggest we go to 16 Handles and get some soft serve. I say, I don't know where that is. I've never been there. You say, no problem, meet me on the corner of Broadway and whatever street, and we'll walk there together. You're God in this example, and I'm the one who wants to get to the place you've promised to take me to. So we're walking together. If you go right, I go right, and so on. If we come to a certain corner and I say, someone told me going to the left here would be better, you might say to me, don't you have faith that I know where the 16 handles is? You might say, am I in the habit of lying to you about such things? Now, I don't know how to get to the place where we're going. If I believe you when you say you do, I would be wise to shut up and follow your lead. Now we're beginning to paint a picture of what it means to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says we walk by faith not by sight. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 and 7, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. And we're back to Noah. Notice he believed God about events as yet unseen. This is what the Apostle Paul means when he says we walk by faith, not by sight. Many, many years passed between the time God warned Noah and the flood actually started. If Noah did not continue diligently month after month, year after year, and complete the work, he would not have been saved. Where does faith come from? We'll touch on this question now and explore it in more detail in our Walking by Faith discussion next week. Let's look at Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This verse summarizes the process expressed in the previous three verses, and we'll talk about that in depth next week, but I want to focus on a simple point from this verse. This is a two-part statement that I have in the past expressed as a one-part statement. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. But that's not what the scripture says. Let's examine each part separately. Faith comes from hearing. Faith in the Bible is an active faith. It is not simply acknowledging some fact. You hear something that requires a response. 
The example I often give to illustrate this is, you wake up in the morning to a sunshiny day. Turn on New York One and the weatherman says, better take an umbrella, it's going to rain today. Now, if you have faith in the weatherman, you're going to take your umbrella despite what you are seeing at your window. And when the rain comes, you're prepared. If you do not believe and you do not take your umbrella, when the rain comes, you will suffer the consequences. The message requires a response from you in order for you to benefit from hearing. Now, the second part, and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, Christ is not the weatherman. You might decide to take the chance and not bring your umbrella. The weather man, notice the emphasis on the word man, might be wrong. Not so with the word of Christ. If you fail to act upon what you have heard, you will surely suffer the consequences and not reap the benefits of what Christ promises. We will delve more deeply into this next week in our discussion of walking by faith. Special thanks to Claude and Jeremy for their comments this week. Till next time, goodbye and God bless. The love of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Fine gold.